Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about time for Mortgage Matters. Uh, hello, good morning everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. It's the new year. Feels like the new year's already been happening for a while, but this is the first Mortgage Matters show of the new year, so... Yeah. Yeah. It's only been seven days. Yeah, but doesn't it feel like it's old news? Yeah, today's the seventh. You were giving everybody that New Year's greeting for days mm-hmm. in a row. Check you out at the grocery store. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, guys. And then I there you seen go. You get to the second. If someone wishes you a Happy New Year, it's like, hey, why are you being weird? That was <laughs> yeah. two days ago. Yeah. <laughs> so old news. Right. Yeah. There you are. By the way, Happy New Year. I haven't seen you since. Happy New Year. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen you since the Saturday before Christmas, so there you go. Yeah, brilliant. (laughs) Next year will be, or next week will be the first normal week for us. It still felt holiday-ish this week. My kids were still out of school. So once they go back to school on Monday, then things will start feeling back to normal again. So what's happening, guys? Ah, living the dream. Yeah. It's a beautiful day for radio. Yeah. It's nice and rainy. I'm sure we got maximum lis- listenership right now as everybody's inside. Uh-huh. I saw last night, I was watching the news, it sounds like there could be potentially like thunder tonight. Yeah, and maybe, that's awesome. Maybe yeah, power get, outages. You're supposed gale to get force ready. winds. You're supposed uh-huh. to get ready for yeah. the... The gale force winds. All of the storm. I think it's cool. I yeah. It's like I was telling you guys... Be, before we went on the air, I live in AG at four and a quarter inches of rain on Wednesday. Yeah, that's awesome. It's nice that's to awesome. see. It's nice to see things filling up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Or Thursday. Was it Thursday? I guess it was Thursday. I, I don't, don't know. It feels like it's been raining yeah, it's for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you tired of the rain yet? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we need it. I'm not. No, I'm not You're really not tired of it. I think I just, it's just glad to see it. What, what is it about rain that it's like, oh, I'm going to start on Friday and go through Monday? Oh, rain knows yeah. the weekends. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you. I, I'm not, I've always wondered that. Yeah, it, it does seem that way, doesn't like it? like to strike in the dark and huh. rain likes to happen on a Friday afternoon and yeah. a Saturday. Clear up promptly at about Monday morning at 8 a.m., though. Yeah, exactly. Right about the time you're ready to go back to work. Well, spoken from a, two, a, a true uh, desk guy, too. I imagine yeah. if you're one of those that works outside in the sun and weather, you think that's sure. pretty nice that the weekend rain would do that for you. Very true. Just a matter of perspective. Yeah, it's all just perspective. Yeah. Uh, well, man, I've, I brought a lot of notes in today. There's a lot of things we can talk about. Um, Dan, Jason. I had an idea for the show for the next few weeks here. Oh, cool. Um, next week, I'm going to have Anthony come on to the show. Wow. What do you think about that? That'll be fun. One of our loan officers who specializes in, well, he he does all of the types of loans, to be fair. But um, I'm going to have him on the show to do a segment about down payment assistance programs. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's great. 
I thought maybe we kick off the new year with a few different um, episodes of Mortgage Matters. We could focus on um, some of those different loan program things cool. that people might like to know about. Mm -hmm. Construction financing is frequently asked about. Mobile home financing. We'd probably have to have Anthony back on for that segment. Yeah. yeah. That'd be great. People are always interested in reverse mortgages, too. So we just do these little, you know, kind of segments where we kind of get everybody back up to speed on the the loan programs today i read yeah. i read yesterday that 71 percent of people still think you need um 20 down 20 down yeah and what, what i it was a couple months ago i pulled in some some transcript of a of a what is it kcbx is our npr affiliate they had a, mm -hmm. a program on their radio show about how long it would take in different communities across to the country save that. to save. And in California, you know, we're at the the bottom, meaning it would take the longest to, um, to save that 20% down payment. And it really yeah. bothered me that the whole premise of this show was... 20 was, was around a 20% down payment was the way to buy your first home. And it just, it's, it's so false. Well, <laughs> not only people that, don't do that. It's difficult then to calculate if you're saving for it. Um, what your where, where is it then attainable? Because the costs are going up. Yeah. So you need to make a projection then about what the increased cost of real estate is. And this is always the interesting thing about people that, that want to wait. And I get it, you know, if you're, you want to, you want to wait, mortgage insurance applies for every 5% down you have, right? I mean, so it's, it goes in what, what we call buckets. So, you know, 3% down is kind of a funky one because you can do conventional loans with 3% down. You're going to have really the highest mortgage insurance you could have at that coverage. At 5% down, it's a little bit less. 10% down, the mortgage insurance is even less. 15% down, it's very low. 20% down, it's gone completely. Some people say, well, I'm going to save to 10% down so I can have the lower mortgage insurance. Right, but you understand with Prop 13 and these increasing home values, you're sort of letting this thing appreciate more while you save, you know, so it gets hard to figure out if you're yeah. tripping over the dollar to pick up the dime kind of thing. Um, and lately, it really feels like that, doesn't it? I mean, it's real estate, I, everything you read lately um, values of real estate are just surging upward, upward and onward. And um, I, we had a couple conversations in the office this week about whether or not the new, I'm doing air quotes, the new higher interest rates, whether they're going to slow the market down. Um, and, uh, you know, time will tell. We'll see. Um, I, I, of course, don't believe that at all. I think there's such a housing shortage that um, it would take rates in the like almost double what they are now to cause true like vacancy where people became disinterested in real estate again. Yeah, it's hard to imagine that scenario. And when you talk to local realtors, any realtor for that matter, um, their perspective from from conversations they have with their clients is that rates, the the going interest rate isn't something that gets discussed a lot. It's really the the motivating factor for buying or selling real estate is more about life events. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that happen over the course of life. You get married, you have kids, you get a new job, you get a pay raise, you, you know, all these different things um, that are more motivating 
or driving for transacting real estate than what the interest rate market's doing. Sure. And it's hard to, you know, we get kind of caught up in the the recent memory, but um, when you step back and, and pause a moment, you'll remember that four and a quarter, which is I think is, you know, right around the going 30-year fixed rate today, is historically low still um, when you look at the last 50, 60, 70, 80 years of interest rates. Yeah. Extremely low. It, it really is. Well, and I, I know I shared this a few weeks ago, too, but it's it's all about perspective, right? I like to remind myself of that a lot, I guess. But when that person comes in and is told, hey, interest rates, like like go back to November, November 8th or something, right? Hey, interest rates are 3.75 for a 30-year fix. No points. Great deal. Um, and then they go on December 15th, hey, I found a house. Oh, you need to be kind of brought up to speed that whole since that whole election thing happened, a lot has changed now and interest rates are at four and a quarter. And you would be like, oh, what a sock in the gut that going up by half a point in interest. It changes the payment, you know, in some cases, a uh, 150, 200 bucks a month. And, and that doesn't feel good because that's just pure interest going to the banks. Right. And who wants to be paying all that interest? But if you walked in on December 15th and said, I'm here to get a home loan. Hey, well, great news. Interest rates are still really low. They're four and a quarter. You're like, whoosh, that's good. You know, and my, how different that feels for those two people. You know, I I was helping a friend of mine. um, He's actually buying a piece of dirt. And so we're doing a cash out refi on his house. Um to get some cash to be able to, you know, this is easier strategy than getting a dirt loan. And he's getting a 15 year loan and he's like, man, I just, he knew rates went up. He's, we've been working on it. He knew it happened. We just weren't ready. He, he, the deal wasn't for sure. And he sort of straddled that timeline where rates went up and he ended up making the, the statement of man, I, I guess we just shouldn't squabble over any interest rate like this that's less than 4%. Because he's getting a 15-year, that 15-year is at like 3.5%. And it doesn't it doesn't feel particularly good knowing that if you struck six months before, you could have gotten, you know, 2.875 or something. But, yeah, it's it's good to just remember that in historical context, these are still very good interest rates. Yeah. And it is, it's that perception of kind of when you started, how you started, and what you were expecting that may make you thrilled or wildly disappointed. Yeah. Uh, There was an article this week um, put out by Redfin who surveyed realtors. And um, if we have any realtors listening, this is uh, my solicitation to you to call in and and share, maybe give us a little feedback about what you think about this. But uh, because Redfin is speaking on behalf of realtors with this article, um, saying that higher mortgage rates will probably force buyers to purchase lower-priced homes. And um, it says that half of almost half of the realtors think that home buyers will be forced to lower their price range. 15% of realtors think it will cause home buyers to walk away. And the rest either see no effect or that sellers will just sit tight and and wait for this anomaly in the market. Anomaly. Um, yeah, just <laughs> <laughs> kind of uh, crazy. Yeah. Interest rate fluctuations are not an anomaly. <laughs> it's something that happens forever. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting thing. Um, and if you're out looking 
um, for entry level housing, entry level housing is difficult to come up with anyway. And most of the time, I mean, when you read nationally, the average um, square footage of a new build is big. They build big houses. They don't exactly build that entry-level home. They're building, like, move-up homes. And when you think about it around here, I mean, what what's your take around here? I know we don't have a lot of new construction around here. Um, I feel like my awareness of the new construction is sort of limited to the North County. Well, that's where most of the new construction is. Yeah. Um, as far as square footage, you mean? Well, in terms of is it the entry-level Entry-level house. I mean, entry-level house is a relative thing. It, <laughs> I think every community is building entry-level housing somewhere. <laughs> I mean, but in San Luis Obispo, that entry-level home is a is a you know two thousand square foot, six hundred thousand dollar home out you know off Prado Road. That that's the entry-level home in San Luis Obispo. That when you go up into Atascadero, you might be able to find a three-bedroom, two-bath townhome in the 400s 450s 500 something like that that's the entry-level home there um you know it's it's different everywhere kind of where where you're how you're willing to commute where you're willing to live to sure because the entry-level price point of san luis obispo proper can buy you a pretty sweet spread up in the north county oh yeah so it's yeah it's all relative right i mean um this article i saw on trulia this week said starter homes um, continue to represent less than one quarter of available inventory nationwide. Um, premium homes make up more than half. Starter and trade-up home inventory is down 12.1% and 12.9% uh, respectively during the last year. And the affordability of starter homes has declined more than twice as much and trade-up homes nearly four times as much as premium homes. So there's fewer of them available out there in the overall home stock, and um, the affordability of them is falling um, four times as much as premium homes. Basically, if you can afford to buy the move-up home or the starter home, you're getting so much more buy for that dollar because there's a lot more pressure in that bottom end of the market. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the bottom end is the most attractive if you're looking for an investment property. You know, so it's it's attractive to a lot of different people, whether you are the want to be the occupant or whether you want to rent that home to the occupant. There's a lot of people that well, want that. and when you're going from being a, a renter to a homeowner, I mean, that's why there's that that starter home or that entry level home. That's going to be the smallest gap between the cost of rent and the cost of home ownership, right? I mean, just yeah. obviously. So it it there's just a lot of focus there. Um, I saw a lot of a lot of talk this week actually about this topic. Um, kind of just about the strain that is on the market. The builders do seem to be building more um, luxury homes. That end of the market seems to be where the builder can actually make some money, which is interesting because doesn't that seem counterintuitive to the logic? Like we just said, if all the pressure is on that entry level and that price point is two or four times less affordable than the move up or luxury home, it seems like the builders should be able to put some 
um, to be able to make easier profits in that more competitive price point. Yet the builder nationally, these things we read suggest they're building bigger homes that are more luxurious and 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 geared towards the move-up buyer. Hmm. And maybe that has something to do with the scale of the projects and in general where if you're going to be doing an infill project, we're going to build a, a more luxurious custom home infilled into an area. Maybe that's different than if you're able to build attractive, you know, entry level homes, like be it one of the minimal lot size, minimal yard size, kind of more conforming type of uh, high density. You know what I mean? Those starter home kind of projects. Yeah. So when I hear about the, the square footage of new construction, a lot of times I wonder, you know, when they make a bedroom bigger in a, in a home because that helps add to that price per square foot that they can get for selling the home. You know, it's not necessarily expensive square footage to build, but it maybe yields more on the sale. Sure. And and so there's that kind of thought process going on when when constructing a new home i mean unless you're building a second kitchen or you know throwing another bathroom in there that's more expensive square footage if you're just adding you know a bigger living room or making the bedrooms oversized you know master closets in every room that's all pretty cheap square footage to add and it helps get a price i i wonder how much of that thought goes into the build side you know i'm not yeah, well, I mean, if you if you go look at this topic, though, you can find that um, a couple years ago that there was some studies that released, and this stuff comes out of census data, and showed that homes were an average 1,000 square feet bigger a couple years ago than they were in 1973. So basically what it means is that we, for the market, we built homes that were 1100 to 1500 square feet in 1973 whereas today if you're going to break ground in a track for yourself an infill project whatever it is are you designing and building at an 11 or 1400 square foot house and the answer is really no you're building at something according to the census data a thousand square feet bigger so you're looking at a 21 to 2400 square foot house and around here I would suggest I I tend to agree with that. That seems like that's about the square footage of what we're seeing, especially if you're talking about building something new. Um, Isn't that kind of wild? The you know the way past generations lived in smaller homes, and I I want to say as a generalization that family size was bigger. But I feel like I know more people now that either don't have kids or whatever, where that seemed to be the norm before. Or I, I think of my, my dad and his brother growing up in their two-bedroom, maybe a 1,000-square-foot house. Could you imagine that? You have your parents living in one room, you and your brother living in another room, up until you finally get out of the house, and that's your... That's no. how you live. I mean, who, it's rare to see that kind of situation today. <laughs> in one of in one of the commentaries I read yesterday, he, he made a joke that said... Um, I wonder what my parents did before all the gadgets and internet and things that kept us busy all the time. Go outside. Um, <laughs> so he said something to the effect of like, so I tried to ask my 17 brothers and sisters, but they didn't, <laughs> they didn't know either. <laughs> I got a pretty good chuckle out of that. Yeah, that's true though. 
the average 2016 new construction square footage size in the U.S. was 2,467 feet. Maybe these numbers are skewed by, like, middle America. They're building these sprawling mansions of 3,000-plus square Maybe. feet that are dragging these numbers up. But that just means, I mean, we are building bigger houses than ever before. And maybe you're on to something. Maybe it has to do with building that inexpensive additional square footage that you could get in the the additional, you know, sales price calculations of price per square foot. Maybe that's what it takes to make a profit in building anymore. Perhaps. Maybe we want bigger houses. Or maybe we just want bigger houses. Maybe we need to spread out from our family members. <laughs> or, you know, your technology's also allowed us to work from home, right? So more That's of us true. have home offices. That's very true, yeah. So we want to have a little bit of extra space for those kind of things. And, and the, another thing that's happened since the 70s is that... Um, <laughs> I gotta be careful. <laughs> I say, there's a lot of things that have happened gotta, since then. Yeah, this is just this is one more thing I think those. But now the man fort I think is a new thing. Uh, the man the, cave. The man the cave. cave. The there man, we are. You know, it's like everyone has their own personal well uh, space. When yeah. I was a kid, my dad had his own. Um, man cave it was the house uh, the whole house we yeah. watched what he watched we did what he did we we were quiet when he said be quiet in the whole house and today i feel like the um the the overall like everybody's it's so much more congenial in the house so hey if you got dad since you're not the king of your abode anymore if you have place where you need to go be loud or listen to your crazy neil young or whatever it is you have to do you're welcome to do that in your man cave so maybe these houses are a little bit bigger now because we need that room to go have this man cave so that we can or, accommodate everyone's needs not just dad and likewise yeah you know, <laughs> arts and crafts room you know all these things but for whatever reason we are all moving towards wanting and living in these bigger houses and that's certainly not helping the affordability, but um, we've yeah. been having this discussion at home lately. Oh, you need more size. There's a there's a debate going on. I feel like our house is perfectly adequate and could be for forever. So I'm content. I, I kind of like the idea of the closer quarters because we're more involved in each other's sure. lives. And I think that'll be more important, especially as the kids get older. Sure. I, I, it'd be nice to not have to squeeze by one another in the bathroom and maybe have a little more room in the closet. But, yeah. you know, it helps us keep a, keep a reasonable um, <laughs> stock of clothing mm -hmm. and <laughs> toiletries. I am, I'm I only, like, laughing a little <laughs> bit because it sounds like you, the four of you live in a thousand square foot house. No, and we don't. It's, but was, we do have, like, one entire room of our house quarantined off for I don't even know what. Or why. It's yeah, it's like the in-law quarters the, okay. or overflow storage of mm -hmm. stuff. The most dad's <laughs> perspective man cave. Yeah, I've got my eye on it, but it'd be a short term. Inefficiently used room for use. Yeah, it's it's I don't know why it's for, yeah ancillary use to the household it what? made sense when the kids were crawling and you didn't want them to tumble down the stairs to that room and sure. it's just kind of stayed that way and so really our 2,000 square foot home for the four of us we've kind of limited it to just using 1,500 square feet of it yes. yeah 
I think it's funny when you watch those. Look at you living in a 70s size house. (laughs) No, I'm so retro. (laughs) Come up to the, yeah. You need to like awaken to the new. This is 2017, Dan. Oh, man, I got to get with it. People around you are living in 2,500 square foot houses. I always think it's funny when you watch those tiny house shows and they say, but there's no room. Well, yeah. Tiny house. We were totally. (laughs) This is funny because we were totally laughing about this conversation, this same conversation this week in the office. Because, um, you know, every now and again, one of those conversations erupts about like, well, which show are you watching? And um, I was saying, I don't, I don't watch too much television, but I was, I scrolled past a documentary on Netflix the other day. It was like something about being a minimalist. Mm -hmm. They showed a guy that had like. 12 belongings or something (laughs) have you seen this he has like but this is a new thing these people that are sort of and and i didn't watch it yet but i i hope my hope is that it has something to do with um sort of resisting the consumerism mentality of you've got to have all these things and now you need a place to put all this stuff and it becomes this whole big thing, right? Where your your possessions are your identity. And this guy had I think like people forgot what the word need means. Two pair of <laughs> jeans and a couple shirts and like, you know, but but effectively this guy could live out of a backpack with his minimal stuff. And I don't I haven't watched it yet. I I intend to watch it. I'm probably gonna watch it this weekend because I wanna know. But I think this probably couples up with the tiny home people too, where you can Figure out how the two of you and your two dogs yeah. live in a 380 <laughs> square foot house. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's kind of just fascinating to me. It works as um, long as you can hike your bad back up the stairs to your bunk bed to your loft <laughs> bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's well, just funny. Anyway, I like um, the shows, but I think it is funny when they complain about the size of the closet or something like that. Well, yeah, you got to <laughs> give up something for a small tiny house. <laughs> One of one of the guys I was talking to, he'll remain nameless in case he or his wife is listening to the show, but he said, I watched that tiny house show and I'm fascinated. Um, not because I want to like do that with my family, but I just think, what if that was mine? Like if I just had, yeah. <laughs> could just live in that alone, just me, <laughs> everything would be where I left it. It'd be like small and controllable and everything would just be there for me all the time. Like, look at you having like a, a weird fantasy about having like a, your single bachelor pad type of thing again. Let's go back and remember how terrible it is being single. Uh, anyway, um, let's. Boy, we got off track there. I guess we were talking about housing, so we're good. Um, let's do a commercial break here. Take some time out to thank the sponsors. Back in a minute with more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543 8830 or 800 549 5832. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso Robles, Morro Bay, Atascadero, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. 
For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. I see you at our kids' Little League games. I bump into you at the grocery store, and it's always fun when we pass each other at Farmer's Market. I'm not a national bank or a faceless website. I'm a local lender, accountable, competitive, and ready to help. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. nice to know yeah. in the new year that some things never change. Jim is still an ACBC <laughs> yeah. just fanatic. That's right. Although, they're probably the one rock band that I have not seen in concert. Wow. I don't know why, but yeah. Do they still tour? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they, I've got to get to the Staples Center or something when they come through sometime and see them. You should get an ACDC tattoo. Uh, well, maybe. Probably not, but anyway. <laughs> it reminds yeah. me of that. Did you guys see that movie, Pets? Secret Life of Pets yeah. or something? Yeah. And the poodles, when they're left, they're like all proper and prancy until the owners leave, and the owner like leaves <laughs> on classical music for them, and then it's like, okay, have a good day. He shuts the door. I love that, And yeah. they like yeah, switch yeah. the radio to AC. I've seen that, yeah. That, like, the, head the head banging, banging. Yeah, and the dogs should, are doing the head banging. That's yeah. so funny. Yeah. Awesome. That was that was one of the highlights of that movie. I know it was on the trailer, but it was still worth it, yeah. even when you saw it in the movie. Um, you know, sometimes, Dan, you and I don't even talk enough during the week. So just getting here on the radio is an opportunity for us to just kind of catch back up. Um, we haven't talked too much since we found out that Heritage Oaks Bank sold. Oh, uh, yeah. We talk about banks a lot here on the show, and um, our most loyal listeners know how much we love the local banks. And now, with that sale... So what happened? We we had bank accounts with um, a couple, two, three of the local banks. Founders and Heritage Oaks. The other one, I guess, is not terribly local. Yeah, Pacific Western. Yeah. They uh, were, what, like three generations removed from American perspective? Right. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, yeah. Is there a local bank anymore? Like a truly local bank? Seslock. Seslock. 
which is, I mean, obviously a credit union, but yeah. Um, yeah so we were having this discussion this week in the office of like, hey, well, where is everyone going to bank? You know, because when you're, it's a pain in the butt to switch banks, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm always like, was I'm telling, if you have Wells Fargo or Citibank or one of the huge banks, the small banks, they'll tell you it's not a pain in the butt to switch banks. They actually have people on staff that will help move you over and set up your your auto payments or whatever it is, all those different things. The reasons why you don't like to switch banks, right? Not to mention, then you got like, yeah, all that stuff that's all set up and checks that are outstanding. But you also know the process, right? You know, you know when they're going to hold funds. You know when they're going to charge you some junk fee for something or not. You know how to get a fee waived if you you need something. Uh, you know all those things. But so um, that's that's probably the big thing for me is I, I generally I think I just resist change unless it's a change that I. I'm initiating. I'm excited about. I don't like things just changing around me where I don't have a say in it. So, um, yeah, I went through this. You know, all right. Well, we do um, our business's primary bank account. The operating account goes through Heritage Oaks Bank. So, what are you going to do about that? I don't know. You just can be absorbed into. The bank that's bought them, and they're not a huge bank. They're what? They're only twice the size of Heritage Oaks Bank. Yeah. And from what I understand, they're big in commercial lending, and they were needing more assets, right? They just needed more deposit funds to keep things in the correct balance and allow them to keep their commercial lending business the way that it was going. Um, and so their goal of buying the bank is to be able to take on those additional assets, sort of reshuffle the deck and get to keep on keeping on. But yeah, so you get to decide, we get to decide, do we want to stay there? Do we want to go to another bank? We'll kind of pick your head up and look around. There's other options in town. None of which, if it's simply that you just wanted a local bank, other than Seslock, you're kind of running out of options here. Well, and I I wonder, I don't think the credit unions offer um, business banking. At least I, I've banked at Golden One since I was, since my parents opened an account there. Interesting. Um, they said they don't do business accounts at all. And I, so I didn't know if that was a credit union thing or. Maybe. I don't know. We'll have to look into that. Um, so it might not even be an option to use that last remaining local bank as our, as our business banking account not that i thought i was going to get any real straight answers but when i was in the bank this week i asked the teller i was like so what's i know what's the spirit around here and she said well she had an interesting perspective though because oh let's do the can you do the chain like the gobble gobble that went on that turned a bunch of banks into i don't even remember some of the names of these banks that then became some of these heritage um, cause what was it? Santa Lucia Midland bank. There was, there was different other local banks that got gobbled up along the way. So anyways, this teller said, well, heritage was actually the third purchasing that I've been through. Um, she uh, has been at the same branch at the same teller window through uh, three different plaques changing outside. And so she's like, 
none of those, you know, didn't ever have a negative effect on us. And so no big deal. Um, but I have a few friends that work in the mortgage department of Heritage Oaks, and they're all feeling a little bit freaked out because the bank that bought them doesn't really do mortgage stuff. Hmm. And so they're concerned that, um, and of course, you know, whenever there's a merger or an acquisition, they tell everybody, oh, you're all safe. Right. Because everyone's safe until you're not. And then the day you're not, now it's like, oh, well, you said I was safe. Well, now you're an ex-employee, so <laughs> get out of here. Um, but so, yeah, the bank has either got to um, want to keep that residential piece and do those mortgages there um, and keep all of that operation. They have a pretty big operation of their all of their mortgage personnel for Heritage Oaks Bank and um, or kind of let it go. And like I said, the, the word on the street is that these guys were after the, the additional capital so that they could keep their ratios up to where they could keep growing in the commercial space that they've been in. So mm -hmm. if you just line up historically the two, it looks like there's not overwhelming evidence that they'll keep their residential lending piece at Heritage. So that could be a, a pretty decent little shakeup here in town, I hate to think of people losing their jobs, getting displaced. Maybe there's opportunity for them to transfer over to the commercial side. Um, you know as well as I do that the difference between commercial and residential lending isn't exactly transferable. You can make that transition, but it takes a lot of retooling and retraining. And um, so anyway, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, but yeah, pick your head up and look around though. If you said, okay, well, I don't want to just become that bank and I don't even remember the name of it right now. Like Pacific premier or premier Pacific, something like that, something like that, but going up and down El Camino Real and Atascadero, you know, we, we've got, um, that bank of the Sierras has opened up a branch up there. Um, you know, but they're not a, a very local bank either. I mean, yeah, the, the name even says that they're not, but Really, we're just getting to the point where there's not a lot of local banks anymore. And um, I, so I saw some stuff here I thought I'd share with you. You might just find this interesting. The American, the number of American banks reached its peak in 1921. Oh. 31,076 banks in 1921. At the end of the Depression... And through the 30s, uh, we found our spot about half that, 14, less than half, 14,771 <laughs> banks in America. In 1996, that number shrank again, two-thirds, 9,528 banks in the country. Today, 5,100 banks. Whoa. So the the attrition of banks in the um the country is kind of wild. I mean and I get it. Part of it is just these banks failure to be able to exist and be competitive in the regulatory environment. You know, you've got to be compliant, you've got to know and follow the rules, you've got to be able to do um internal audits as well as pass the external audits. There's a lot that goes into it, and so it's a game, obviously, of the strength in numbers. And I think, I mean, look here locally from 
I don't know, go back to 2003 in town, it would take a, a trip down memory lane to name all of the local banks that have been around here that have come and gone. Oh, yeah, it's been so many over the last 10, 12 years. Yeah, and then we had a couple new ones with American Perspective um, and then Founders. Those those were two new They started up in 2008-ish, yeah. 9, 10, something like and that. And have since been gobbled up and, and gone. And so, um, yeah, anyway, I guess it's just a sign of the times. But, yeah, imagine what it means in the U.S., even dollar constant, but... Back of your mind, you know that the the amount of money running through this country is a lot more now. Yeah. Um, from 1921, where there was 31,000 banks, whereas today we have, you know, basically 5,000 banks and and dying every day. So, talk about too big to fail, man. We are totally consolidating the whole industry is too the big to assets fail. down into what's ultimately going to become a pretty finite cast of banks. Yeah. Pretty fascinating. Be interesting to see how the the deposits were spread among the thirty some odd thousand banks versus you know what was the largest bank? What was their concentration of, or what was their market share of back the deposits in the, back in the in the nineteen twenty one year yeah, versus today, where it's you know five banks dominate probably ninety plus percent oh, of yeah. the deposits. I mean, if you're Wells Fargo, you've got to just be pumped about this, yeah. right? As well as far as one of the ones that was around from way back when. Mm-hmm. Oh, do you know what else, too? Over the holiday? I heard something ringing. It's the old sales phone out there in the hallway. Oh. Yep. I'm, I'm, that no one knows watching, I'm watching the phones in here. I have to watch the phones. Yeah. By the way, 543-8830 if you have a call. Hey, yeah. If you have a question, see, throw that in there right yeah, there. Yeah, 543 There it is. It's right. easy. I, like I said earlier, too, at some point, I want a real estate agent that's listening to call in and tell us what they think is going to happen to the real estate market this year based on all the fun. <laughs> you know, rising rates, new president. What else? That, a lot of that. A Dow going to 20,000 almost yesterday. Did you see that? Tickled it, huh? Flirting right <laughs> yeah. there. Just flirting. 0.37 I was watching away. one of those financial Whoop. shows yesterday. They had a huge graphic on. Yeah. About, uh, well, they said now, it too. Fun. Now it's, it's just so overplayed. Well, it's going to be one of those things that's going to happen Yay! anyway. All right. I don't know. What's your Any thought, though? They're they still going to at the closing <laughs> bell. Ding, 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 ding with some confetti. Oh! 20,000 and then all right guys uh see you tomorrow probably gonna <laughs> dip below that yeah. <laughs> well they were saying they were saying that the, the the thought of seeing all those zeros up there scares people for some reason Ooh. so makes you have to acknowledge that the market's overcooked yeah Seeing, you know, two, zero, zero, zero. Well, it'll zero. quickly be two, zero, one, four, two. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's only one zero. I don't know. It's yeah. It's kind of funny. It's just a milestone, but it's really not that big of a deal, in my opinion. No. No, it doesn't. It doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. It was funny. Yesterday, so they had, you know, the round table of people on CNBC just waiting for the milestone to happen that never happened couple of the guys are older and reminiscing about, you know. I remember when, when it went to 9,000. It wasn't even that long ago. They were talking about when the Dow was at 700. <laughs> it's 
It's like, wow. Really? Come a long way. Yeah. When was that? I don't know. These guys I don't are remember that. They're probably 20-year vets on television, so maybe 20 years ago. I do remember when gold was like 300 bucks an ounce. And then all of a sudden it went to like $2,000 an ounce. And I didn't understand it then. I don't understand it now. But, you know, if you watch um, certain programming on cable television will have you believe that if you have not invested in gold, in fact, you should sell your 401k and move it all into gold because, you know, that's the only way you're going to survive the bubble bursting. Um, man, wild ride if you're trying to 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 be in gold. I And I don't fully understand still how it's so expensive and wonder myself, why can't it go back? I mean, I obviously I'm not completely in the dark about it as a commodity and those kind of things, but it's, it's a pretty impressive run that it's been on. And if you entered that game, if you were one of the people that at 2000, you said, well, Hey, gold, I watched go from 400 to 2000. And so I don't want to miss it going from two to three. So you sold your 401k and bought all in at 2000. What's an ounce of gold today? I don't even know. 1300 or something. <laughs> I'll have to look it up. I'm looking back at a Dow chart. It wasn't below a thousand since this isn't very good at telling me the timeline, but before 1950. So, yes, yeah, those were some old boys that were on that <laughs> yeah, show. Most of it. They were talking, talking about, about the market were, 70 years ago. They were children buying the newspaper for a nickel. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to look up the price of gold today. Oh, I was wrong when I said fourteen hundred <laughs> below a thousand. It's eleven seventy five. Yeah. I mean, this is the first site I've looked at, so don't take this as your investment advice. But yeah, it's almost half of then what it was during that period. You know, at the in the recession when, especially when the government was pumping all of the money in there was going to cause the inflation that would just destroy every dollar you had saved you'd better buy gold do, do you still have your little chunk of gold oh yeah man <laughs> every, every you got to have your gold <clears throat> just watch it on you know up and down up and down um one of those things too you remember when we i, I you probably never watched it i remember telling you about it, it was called the crash course mm. um Oh, I'll remember the guy's name in a minute. Um, I know it was Martinson, Chris Martinson or Steve Martinson. Um, S-E-N was the, not S-O-N, but Martinson, S-E-N. He had this like web series that you could watch and it was describing like the crash. Hmm. And I remember watching it. Oh, yeah. In 2008 or seven, eight or nine, somewhere in that, you know, back when the sky was falling. And he basically ropes you in pretty quick with that analogy of, um, you know, basically if you if you were handcuffed to a chair in the top of Wrigley Stadium or something and there was a drip of water down into the field that doubled every 60 seconds. So, you know, became two drips, four drips, eight drips, 16 drips. Basically goes on to describe how, like, once you realize you have a problem. It's too late. By the, There's an inch of water on the field now. And you're like, hey, that's doubling quick. You now have, like, four minutes until you're dead. 
um, and basically goes on to describe how this is effectively what's happening kind of in his four E's, I think it was, which was like environmental, right? Which kind of, you know, if you think about it, is you're going to reverse course on the environmental damages and things like this. By the time you realize it's crisis status, it's too late. Yeah. Economy, the unsustainable future of our economy, energy, and environment. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, anyway, he ends up making this analogy in that crash course that like, so gold, you know, like you're, you're going to put all your money in gold because that's what's going to do it for you. When, when it hits the fan, you, you've got gold. Everybody else has got this fiat dollar now that's worth nothing. And you've got gold. It's like, okay, well, so we're in a rowboat, me right. and you. And I've got an apple and you've got gold. How much gold is my apple worth? I wouldn't take your gold for my apple no matter what. Um, what he didn't go on to say is that probably yeah. someone's going to kill somebody over that apple. Right. But In fact, um, your gold is weighing our boat down. Yeah, throw the <laughs> gold throw over. over? <laughs> Dangle it behind the boat and try to catch us a fish, man. Right. <laughs> that thing might be sparkly enough. Spin it, spin it. <laughs> uh, wild. <clears throat> but yeah, I see that investment advice today <clears throat> is that you should basically, I mean, just dump everything you got into gold because that's wow. going to be the only thing to save you. And I'm like... But what if it's not? What if it goes down 50% over all that speculation, you know? And then the next commercial tells you that silver. Silver is currently at like 60% of its all-time high or something. You know, have you heard these commercials? Have you seen these commercials? Anyway. <laughs> no. We must be watching different cable networks. Probably. Yeah. So, who knows? But yeah, so with the banks closing, you know, I I try to always remind everybody, use a local bank. Um, localish, localish <laughs> bank. <laughs> Settle for a bank that you agree with their practices. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of disappointing to see. I wonder if there's going to be a new local bank that starts up. Could you imagine starting one? There's going to be a lot to learn. About those audits and the practices and all that. I mean, maybe you got to go rattle the door of the the guys that um, your old neighbor, one of the the yeah. the one of the founders of American uh, Perspective, yeah. American Principle. Yeah. It changed, didn't it? It changed. They changed names because they turns out there was some other company or bank that had the same name somewhere else. Huh. Interesting. Anyway, what is it now? It's like Umqua or something. Well, isn't it? Umqua bought them for a moment, and now they're the Pacific Western. Oh, that's the Pacific Western. Yeah, the Umqua didn't end up going through or something, and yeah. so then Pacific Western bought American Perspective. See, but that formerly didn't, American, but principle. that didn't add up for me though because the <clears throat> Pacific Western that I'm aware of is on the corner there. Well, they moved the location. But it used to be another bank too. That, that was, was where that First Bank of California or Bank of California or something. And, no, and that's on the that, other corner. It was San Luis Trust. I don't know. It was it's slow. It was the slow Federal Credit Union. No, that's still there. That's a couple. It is. I'm pretty sure. See, yeah, that's still there. It's a it's um a couple doors down from that Pacific Western on what is it Oso Street? Yeah. What's the bank <laughs> that's across the street from? Like the Firestone Caddy Corner to to Woodstocks and. What is that? Is that a Rabobank bank now? No. That's where I thought San Luis Trust was. No, San Luis Trust is on 
Martian. See, this is the problem with all these banks just (laughs) coming and going and buying and selling and merging and splitting. It's been a frenzy over the last 10 years. Yeah. It's been pretty wild. And I guess unless you banked at one of them and made your way through that whole transition with them, it'd be hard to keep it all straight. So I don't know. Are we just going to end up staying? Be be one of the... It depends. If they make me redo the whole bill pay thing that I got set up already, then I then it's up in the air. Whoever's system I like better. There you go. But if I don't have to change anything with the bill pay, because that's the biggest pain in the butt is to change. I've already got all the addresses and everything entered in. It's already done. I wonder if they're still going to like set out dog treats and let you bring your dog into the bank. <laughs> I don't know. That's a big deal. It is. I never took my dog to the bank. Not inside the bank, anyway. <laughs> my dog's probably been in the back of the truck when I went to the bank. <laughs> but yeah, but there's some people that if the bank doesn't keep the dog treats out there for their dog, that they're going to like yeah. look for another more dog-friendly bank. See, a local bank would know that. We'll see. We'll the, see if that the new... dog thing's important to <laughs> <Yeah. you. laughs> We don't have that much time almost stalling for topics and i was gonna say one minute okay i was gonna say the dog has the dog thing got out of control is it just me like now i think it's out of control actually (laughs) is is it because like the dog's at the restaurant the dog's at the doctor well for one thing there's a health thing about restaurants when we flew over the summer um there was a dog on the airplane and um and by the way, well, I, you and I have dogs that are too big to fit in handbags. So yeah, but I have a yellow lab. I can just buy one of those vests and make my dog. <laughs> there it is. The black market I, for I a think yellow it has vest. Demonstrate some of the characteristics. <laughs> of I know two people <laughs> that just have a vest that just bought that vest. Yeah. And oh one gosh. of one of them bought it to take their dog on a plane. Wow. Because yeah. otherwise, they got to like do a whole like doggy thing, the and quarantine them and stuff. So. Anyway, all right, guys. Next hour will be um, more focused. More focused. We're just getting back in the hang of it. It's a new show, first show of the new year. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. second hour of mortgage matters we haven't done a good job of giving out the phone number we we like it when you participate we love hearing your comments and if you have any questions we'll do our best to answer them you can give us a call at 543-8830 543-8830 you know what's funny hmm i mean here we are in the second hour and we haven't even yet discussed the, the employment. employment report yeah, I was just looking are you them. kidding me I'm looking at my notes here, and I'm like, yeah, I kind of talked on that, touched on that. Still want to go there, but not now. Get down. It's all the way at the bottom of my notes, so no wonder it's coming up late. 
But yeah, the employment report. How about we talk about that for a minute? Yeah, close out the 2016 year. Um, and by the way, I got to know, um, did you stop getting the paper? No, I didn't. But I just got a renewal, and they tried to raise it up 20%. And so I called Whoa. them and said, dude, you did this to me last year. And the paper keeps getting smaller. You have less information, especially the stuff I want, which is mostly the sports. Like, I love looking at the – I've looked at box scores and stuff for baseball my whole life in the newspaper. And they cut that out last year. And that was really frustrating to me. So did you get a discount? They basically moved it down to last year's price. So, and I, you know, they gave me a first offer, a second offer, and I was rerouted to some other country to negotiate my price of my paper. hate that. But whatever, I ended up getting it for the same price I had it. Well, that's good. Hmm. Still seems, it seems very arbitrary. I bet everyone uh, in the county has a different price for their newspaper. Shouldn't it be discounted since it's like getting smaller and lacking the meaningful content that you want? Yeah... That's I don't crazy. know. Part of me I mean, is I ask to move because to the digital version. I know we've had like almost a month off now, so I'm I'm not used to seeing you in here. But you have no newspaper clippings with you today. No, it's, I, I just noticed that. I had oh. a couple of hiccups this week. Okay. One week I had a good article, and I brought. I thought it was in the front section, but it was in the back section. So when I brought the paper to work to cut it out, it I had the wrong section I, and this morning okay. i was running late so i, didn't I don't get want to you cut to, out today. i don't want you to feel attacked i want you no, just I I assure just, me that I'm next week you're gonna myself. have newsprint again i probably will okay probably will okay yeah i just want to make sure it's not like a new thing for 2017 where you're not going to have newspaper with you anymore no. because i'm not ready for that change i'm not ready for that change either okay. you know i'm slow to change I'm in the midst of trying to digitize my old bills and bank statements and things. I saw, um, yeah, no, I know, I know. <laughs> Stuff that you probably should let go of anyway. I never yeah, at least know when it. someone's going to want to see my charter internet statement from 2008. You don't know? No, you'll be prepared when they do yeah, too, well, which is going to be awesome. Bring it on. I got it. Yeah, that's um, funny. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Wow. The employee you have helping with that digitation project you're working on said, well, like the second page of this bank statement is basically blank, but every now and again, there is a second page. And so should I do the whole scan job as two-sided or not, or just the ones that are two-sided? Because then otherwise there's going to be blank pages in the middle. And I'm like... that came out of a drawer where it's not been looked at for years and it's now going to be made into a PDF where it's going to be stored onto a hard drive where it won't be looked at for years again until deleted. So I think do whatever you want. (laughs) (laughs) Scan them all two sides. So there's a blank between every meaningful page and that won't matter either. (laughs) So yeah, sorry to sort of minimalize that. Um, I know it's I know it's important to you. It is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think it's funny. I'm a good record keeper. <laughs> it is Dan's funny. gonna know how much he spent on his kids' diapers and stuff like that twenty years from now. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Which is gonna be really valuable <laughs> information. <good> <laughs> hey. Would you rather know or not know? <laughs> I like, I'd rather know. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're picking on Dan. <laughs> Sometimes I don't wanna know though. I feel prepared. 
Good. <laughs> so the employment report. The as employment we were report. About. Right then when you said that, I started thinking about my gas bill. <laughs> because I got the uh, the gas bill for the new house, and it was way more than I thought. Which was then, like, baffling to me. Um, I'm sorry. Do we have the air conditioning on right now? Yeah, totally. You do, and happening? I don't know why. I'm going to walk down to the coast studio. I think it's I got, the studio. It got cool in yeah, here. Yeah, I'm going to go turn it off. I, thought, I mean, I thought we were just connecting because here I've got uh, goosies. I got goosies. You gave me goosies. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go down there. I'm going to the, go down the hall and see if I can uh, fix the situation here. All right. Be safe. Um, <laughs> no man's land down there. Yeah. Anyway, I got um, my real estate agent gave me one of the Nest thermostats oh, yeah. for the house. How do you like it? Um, it's pretty awesome, actually. Uh, so, f- first of all, to buy a thermostat for $250 that plugs onto the wall and pretty much is going to do what the old one did, the claim. You can control this one from your phone, you can control it from your phone. But the other thing, you know, and I I could show you while we're like, you know, sitting next to each other, the radio listeners are going to be bored to heck, but you can click on your history mm-hmm. and like, I can see when the thing came on Whoa, cool. and, and how long it ran for, like what the settings were changed to. That's cool. And it makes those little suggestions, right? Like it ended up, um, because I asked my wife, I mean, I don't know enough about this stuff. And I'm not there as much, right? So I said, well, what what is like, what do you like the heat set to at a minimum, you know, like in the morning or whatever? And she was like, she was like, because I was going to, I was setting it up and I was going to do like 62. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, that's way too cold. And I'm like, okay, well, what? You know, and she's like, I would say at least 68. And I'm like, 68? That's like what it was set to in here, by the way. I just you're gonna adjusted make the, it up like, some. Oh wow! Yeah. That's cold for air conditioning. Sixty-eight. What? Yeah. Oh, so I was setting 68. it, and I mean, maybe you can tell me if I'm nuts or not. But I set the thing because it our house has AC and heat, so it's like we'll set the range. And so I was like, well, I guess you can turn the AC on when it's seventy-eight because that doesn't happen that often, and then you can turn the heater on when it gets like lower than sixty-two. And my wife was like, oh, that's crazy. So she's like 68. And I'm like, that seems excessive for the minimum. That's what so, we have for like when we're home. 68? 68. When we're not home, it goes off. Basically. Well, the Nest thing gives you a little leaf telling you that you're like in the go zone. Like you're doing good if you can do 66. Hmm. So I was like, well, fine. I'll do 66. That's where it, that's kind of like the threshold it likes. So, um, but yeah, anyway, um, because of that, the like programming nature of it, and then it learns you and it makes suggestions. It also knows um, when you put the app on your phone, it knows when you're home or away. So mm-hmm. any of those times that you leave your house where you had your heater on 68, but now you're gone, even if you're gone for just an hour or whatever, basically as soon as you leave, it just knocks it down to that eco mode and and leaves it to where it's not running while you're gone. So the thought is these things will make up, you know, the cost of their um, the the investment to put it on the wall by way of its own, you know, yeah. savings. Can you have the app running on multiple phones? 
Yes. Like, does your wife have it as well? Yep. I invited her to it. It's pretty cool. Oh, neat. Um, and um, yeah. So anyway, um, we got our first gas bill. And it's higher? Well, it was higher than I was expected, but it's also the first gas it's bill in the new house. house. Yeah. So you're not used yeah. to what normal is. And there's a, we have a gas fireplace in our bedroom that the old owner like never ran. He was like, yeah, well, the pilot light's on all the time. And you know, that's expensive. And I was like, well, how expensive is it to have a pilot light on? And it looks like a big pilot. I mean, I'll give them that. It's taller than the little tiny pilot lights that are usually on. And so anyways, we run that thing a couple of times in the bedroom and um, whatever. But I feel like there was also a lot of laundry. There's a lot of laundry when you move. Like you an opportunity to clean and blankets yeah. and all that stuff. And then as you're putting things away, I think you wash too much stuff. So anyways, the gas bill was higher than usual, but... Um, like you were talking about, oh, I want to know. So I asked my wife. So like she's like, yeah. So I paid the gas bill, um, and then they said I didn't pay enough because I guess at the old house we were on one of those um, payment leveling things, hmm. so that if it's more in the winter time or whatever, you just pay like a kind of a constant fee around the year and it just stays level. And at the new house, they didn't apply that thing, but the auto pay made the old constant payment, and so now they needed another sixty bucks. Like, well, that's fine, but why is the gas bill 60 bucks more? And, you know, got a bigger house to heat. Well, but more importantly, like, because she was just paying it, I just want to make sure, is it right? And then was it because of a connection fee or a transfer fee or something that, you know, maybe I need to go turn the water heater down? Like, I got to, like, figure out as I don't just want to pay more without understanding why. But um, Mel's just totally like she's just like yeah, I just paid it. <laughs> well, I need a, I need more info about yeah, that. See, information's uh, important. Yeah, it, yeah. so anyway, <laughs> I went and tracked down the bill there to figure out what it was. And then the other thing that was frustrating is um, you lacking that historical context. So I can understand how you like to be able to yeah. go back and look at things. I've never looked at the stuff, by the way. No, I know. But I have it if I want to. If you want to. Yeah. So you're not going to lay awake at night wondering what it was. If anything, you're going to wake up and go, what was the charter bill in 2008? I can answer that in the morning. <laughs> I'm going to have to easy. sit there and go, well, it was probably $29 with no real way of knowing. That's funny. I got one of those along the lines of the nest. I got a, I don't know how to say it, Rakio, Ratio. Mm. It's the sprinkler version of that oh, thing. Oh, so it knows when there's precipitation in the yard. and It like... knows what the, yeah, it's in tune with multiple different weather um, apps or channels or whatever. And so it knows what the weather is locally and will adjust based on that. It also, you can log in on your phone and look at what, um, you know, how much, how many gallons you're using in different yeah. areas. You can turn it on and off. You yeah. can do all that stuff. And you don't have to, like, ours is under the house, and it's just kind of a pain to get to. Sure. So we can do it all from the phone now. Yeah. It's pretty neat. I actually haven't hooked it up, but it looks really neat. <laughs> on my, this weekend's On project. my Nest app, like, um, I only got this thing on, I guess it was the first, was the day I installed it anyway. Um. On the first, it ran for one and a quarter hours, which was like 3.45, 4.15, 5.15, 5.30, and then 8.15. Hmm. And then on the second, 
So I saw that. I was like, man, this thing ran all the time. So when we went to bed, I threw an extra log on the fire because we have like one of the, you know, fan blower wood burner stoves in the um, living room. On the second, the thing ran for 15 minutes. Whoa. So I checked that out. I reduced consumption there. And I think it got a little bit warmer because the weather was um, with the rain or whatever. The weather changed a little bit. But then listen to this sweetness. On the third, fourth, and fifth, there was no usage. Whoa. So this thing like... um, It's neat because you never knew that kind of stuff before. No. And in part, it has... It's affecting... Now it's like sort of affecting my desire to see... If I can keep this thing down yeah. or maybe not coming on at all for several days in a row. It's the same as those fitness watches that was going to make have. you walk yeah, more like, because oh, you I need have to do it. my 10 more steps. And, you know, you never yeah. knew that stuff before. Yeah. So now I'm just paying a lot more attention now. And this is I mean, this is ultimately the gas usage for me. Yeah. Um, electrical. You know what I've been through on electric. I mean, we switched to LED this and all everything we could ever possibly do to drop the electric consumption at the house um but gas was really never on the radar so i'm saying just since i got this it's now i've created this sort of hyper awareness of how much gas we're using um and that's kind of a cool thing they're saying that this year 2017 is going to be the year of these gadgets really becoming the norm in every house but people are still unsure how they all work together right because supposedly you can get like one of those new Alexa, uh, yeah, one of the talk- things you talk to, and then it knows what's going on with yeah. the other devices. But I the saw a funny adult. article yesterday about two of those devices had an argument with each other, and it was <laughs> like, <laughs> like really basically a verbal argument about. Um, you'll have to go look at the story. It was one of the like the funny things trending on Twitter. Somebody posted like, "Hey, look at this! These two devices got into a, like a like <laughs> a quip after quip argument with one another." That's wild. Because yeah. I'm also watching Westworld right now mm-hmm. on the TV. Did you guys watch this? Mm-mm. It's basically no. a, a Jurassic Park type of thing with these robots that are made to be human and they're um, turning human, maybe. And then you start, you know, you've seen this movie premise before. Yeah. The robots are getting too smart. Yeah. Uh. Um, and then, yeah, that's the thing, though, about the house is all this stuff's all talking to each other now. I know. I, my, my, uh, over at Christmas, I was in, in uh, Fresno with my um, family over there, and my sister and brother-in-law have a have one of those Amazon things. So I was messing with yeah, that. That's we were the messing Alexis with the Amazon. Thing, right? Yeah, well, basically, it was I think it was Amazon that you said to this. But anyway, you said um, Amazon Play, Burl Lives, Holly Jolly Christmas. We were playing the Christmas music that way. That's and cool. Thought, and it's actually cool, but on the other hand, I thought, that's an open mind. It's sitting there yeah. listening to me. Yeah. I don't and like I, that. And you consent to have it record you at all times. Yeah. I don't like that. And it's it's weird. It's freaking me out. Yeah. We, have a f- we have a friend who works at Best Buy, and he said, you know, some of those TV remotes now do the yeah. same thing. You control them with your voice. And he said, if you don't, he he's paranoid about it, so he puts yeah. his into right. like a drawer when right. he's not using it so that it can't hear him. Right, I don't just, like, yeah, weird. I just recording like you at all times. Yeah. I'm it's telling you, I'm thinking in the sale of a home. Okay, I'm trying to switch it back to the the show. You know what we do. But yeah, here. we said we were going to be more on track this hour. <laughs> but I'm I'm curious now with all of these types of gadgets in households and them becoming more common. You know, when you go to buy a home, you could probably ask the seller, "Well, let me see your Nest 
history so I know what kind of utilities to expect or totally. that kind of thing. I mean, that's great information to yeah. have as a buyer or seller of a home. Well, and I found out recently that the county required the builder of our house to like triply insulate it. Um, and so no one talked about that in the marketing of the homes. I had no idea. It's like I've heard this through a couple of other people since then. But anyway, um, then I started thinking more about that. The, the, those are really critical things to know because um, a couple of things jump out, which is one, um, sometimes there's an attribute to a property that if you're unaware of, like, for example, I've had more than one client buy a house that has a pool. And then you get the feedback later, like, we had no idea the nightmare that is owning a pool. The electric bill was $600 a month to run the pumps and, you know, do all the thing. And then with the chemicals and this, that, and the other, and then you feel like you can't afford to heat it. So then I go cold and then, you know, no one wants to swim in it because it's cold. And now you're throwing all this money a month at this thing that nobody wants to use. And um, so those things are important and maybe not a pool. That's kind of an extreme example, but like a well pump too. I remember one of the, I lived on a rural property in Santa Margarita one time where the electric bill was about $400 a month because the well pump ran a lot. So there's a lot of those things that um, are pretty critical to know. And that probably will lead to consumers It'll, being a little bit more um, in the know when it comes it to buying a house. Could it be a mandatory disclosure upon sale of a home? I mean... I don't I I I sort of want to like cringe a little bit at the mandatory nature of that because now you've got some enforcement means or whatever but I can easily see how a cuz a buyer could ask those things today. Right. You know, like hey, let, well let me have the electric bills for the last year. That's true. Cuz that's going to be you can put anything you want into a contract and they can agree or not. But that the one thing about that though is it doesn't tell us enough about your lifestyle and right. how are you different than me? Right. You know, like at my old house, we had a jacuzzi and I know I paid for that. It was expensive, uh, you know, the electric cost to run it. Um, but you might not want that. And so if you looked at the electric bill trying to size up what it costs to run that house and you know that you're not going to have the jacuzzi or, you know, I mean, we're a five person household and you're four. Sure. Um, That's true. And another potential buyer might only be two. And so with the gas, the water, the electricity, all these things are all tiered as well. So when I'm touching into second, third, or fourth tier because of the size of my family and our consumption, um, you may not experience something anywhere near that based on a difference of lifestyle, family size, those kind of things. Yeah, so, But I, I do think it's all very relevant information to at least try to get an understanding of you know how efficient is this home how totally yeah, how much does it cost to maintain this and, place you know depending on the age of the home too that's an interesting thing is if i could look at your nest data now like based on what i know about how the nest works and what it records i'm kind of interested how much does your heater cycle on on a night because it knows not only the interior uh, temperature of the home but also the exterior hmm uh, it knows if it's raining and what the humidity is and all these other things. So I could go back and see, well, how many times did your heater cycle that night? Um, you know, and it was like, oh, man, your house must be like leaky and drafty if your heater kicked on 20 times overnight where, you know, it, it optimally would have only happened four or six times. I mean, those things could tell you if you're you're buying something that's somebody else's headache or, you know, what what its potential weaknesses are. Yeah. 
It's pretty fascinating. Being armed. The the last thing I want to tell you, by the way, about all this technology stuff, because yeah. this is the real deal. Um, and you could, we've tested this with my friends. Um, do you have the Facebook app on your phone? Sure. Most people do. Um, I do. I don't have the Facebook Messenger on my phone. Yeah, me either. Um, the Messenger scares me a little bit, all the privacy things about it. Um, open up your Facebook app. Open up your Facebook Messenger if you have it. Um, and then just leave them running in the background. You're not using it. It's just the app is open. Your phone, you can go ahead and lock your phone. Have a conversation about something you otherwise wouldn't have talked at all about today. The Nest, you know, thermostat, controllable thermostat. You have these conversations around your phone, and then later that day, on the right side of your Facebook page, you see, hey, Amazon saying, buy a Nest here. These things are hearing us now. And, Weird. and I know it has something to do with advanced. Think about marketing, the research of marketing firms and what they're doing to get bigger and better at, at convincing us. And then, oh, what's that? Dan, Dan, you're in the market for Oakley sunglasses? Well, guess what? There's a 10% sale on Oakley sunglasses today at Sunglass Hut. And yes. it's like... I mean, we've tested it. You can see these things will begin to offer you things that the only way it knew is if it was listening to your microphone. So it's, I'm a little so bit nervous weird. that you're going to put your stove, you know, you're going to get your smart refrigerator because they have these, right? Your refrigerator now can talk to your everything else in your house. So it's one of those things. All of the food manufacturers are probably listening to the fridge, the fridge listening to you, right? Oh, well, Dan, but he buys prosciutto. <laughs> we, that's, we need to know that. That's a different household. Now, all of a sudden, Dan's getting marketed to differently than the guy who's like, hey, get the hamburger helper. Like, oh, we don't want to market. That guy probably doesn't have the listening fridge anyway. I don't know. But you know what I mean? Like, they're, they're, now they've, they have a desire to listen to your fridge based on the conversation you guys are having in the kitchen. So we're basically, as we keep doing this technology, the, it seems like the biggest benefit is whatever you make the benefit of it, right? Oh, what helped me lower my gas bill or it helped me better understand my energy consumption, this, that, and the other. Well, and then what was the other, what was the like tag along consequence to that? You, you installed a microphone in your hallway, you know, you now, yeah. now the man is watching you from inside the house too. Yeah. It's You're, another one of those Star Trek things that's coming true where they used to walk onto the bridge and they say, computer, and it would answer any questions or do anything they wanted to do. Yeah. No, mm -hmm. I mean, I got that right now. Like, my phone just sitting here all locked. And if I say, hey, Siri, and then there, bing, she's like, yeah, what do you need? Like, well, you were just listening to me. Weird. Yeah. That's a trip. So, I don't know. Good or bad. You're getting it all. It's a package deal. We got to take a break and talk about this employment report. We're going to talk about that employment report. It's just, it just seems like something we should do. So we're going to do that. When we come back, uh, we'll have more mortgage matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage matters on KBEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors.
This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. Our loans are not trucked in from some big bank. They're raised right here on the Central Coast. No hormones, no GMOs, no antibiotics. Call today and get your gluten-free mortgage from a caring lender that knows you only accept the best for your family. Just call Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso Robles, Morro Bay, Atascadero, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. All right, guys, welcome back. All right, as promised, we're going to talk about this jobs report. There's, um, There's some interesting stuff in here. So this, of course, is the um, this is the employment situation for December. Um, December. All right, one word. Describe the jobs report. Average. Average. Oh. I was gonna say, disappointing. Hmm. Um. The. <coughs> Jobs added were 156,000 jobs. Uh, November, I didn't put it into my notes, but it was like 217,000, I, if I recall. 204. It 204. was revised upward. Um, okay. In fact, the last two, November and October were, were revised upward, which added 19,000 jobs to those two months so november sits at 204 and october was at 135 so october was not very good month Mm-mm. um and november i i guess and and this i think is what we have to talk about here is um is sort of putting it into perspective what are the numbers because i feel like i had widely accepted um that 200,000 jobs a month, I, that, this is the threshold for me where I, I, you can't argue that we're not like 
we're growing. We're doing good. We're adding 200,000 jobs a month. That's a that's a good amount of jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you see a month like this where, you know, trailing a 200-plus thousand jobs month to 156,000 jobs a month, uh, first of all, that's a, a reduction in the pace. So is that indicative of, you know, slower job creation to come, it's signaling a change in the economy? Um I don't know. You draw your own conclusions from that. When you look back two months to see that that was 135,000 jobs created, um, you know, it's like, well, it seems like it's chopping up and down. It looks like a heart rate, huh? From 130 to 200 to 150. Um, Janet Yellen made the comment this um, last week that uh, the economy needs to create just under 100,000 jobs a month to keep up with growth in the work age uh, population. I remember in years past that we, we were under the assumption based on different things we read that that number was somewhere closer to 150,000 jobs. Mm, I don't recall. Um, So that being said now, I mean, now you have fed chair Yellen saying, Hey, this number, if you're North of a hundred thousand, you're actually keeping up. So you're not necessarily growing. But you're keeping up with the demand of the work age part of the population that needs jobs. That's what it takes. So 156,000 jobs for December is a good number then. It's more than enough. Um, And then so when you like step a little bit further, I mean, because if you and I were you were bringing like, say, I've been abroad for a couple of years with no news and I come back. So, well, tell me what's going on in the labor market, Dan said, oh, well, we made 150,000 jobs last month. Okay, cool. That's not really the primary component. The other thing is, well, what kind of jobs were they? Right. And and what was the pay? Um, is the pay going up or down? Um, and so what we find about um, this one, we actually had some wage growth as well. Um, so we economists expected um, 171 or 173,000 jobs or something to be created. And so... Then when you get that, you, so it's like, hey, everybody expect 170,000 jobs. And then you go, oh, well, you got 155,000. It's like, oh, well, we were lower than expectation. And that sort of starts you out feeling a little bit disappointed about it, doesn't it? Yeah. Because isn't it nice in terms of this? I mean, the jobs is arguably the single greatest indicator of the health of the economy. I mean, that's really, at the end of the day, isn't that really, because people talk about the Dow, oh, we can get into, you know, um, capital spending and manufacturing data, and we can talk about trade balance. We look at all these things that feel quite abstract, but every single month we get the counting of the jobs. Mm -hmm. We see what sectors they were in. We see what, what the change, if any, in the wages were. This one seems to me... Um, the strongest indicator of what's going on. So when they say, hey, expect 170 and you get 155, you go, oh, that's a bummer. When they say, hey, expect 170 and you get 220, you go, hey, that's good. We exceeded expectations for job growth. So you sort of start out a little bit, you know, going down one road or another just based on what they told you to expect. Um, And now we all know, um, if we accept what 
Fed Chair Yellen says that 100,000, slightly short of 100,000 is what we need to keep up with growth, fine. I'm actually, you know, I'll commit that to heart now. And, and I'm going to retrain myself to believe that if it's north of 100,000, we're good. And so and then next, let's talk about the wage metric. What kind of jobs are these and how much money are they earning? And that part of the report was was pretty good, um, at least to, for recent history. The the year-over-year year rate of wage growth was just shy of 3%. It was at 2.9%. Month-over-month, it was 0.4% increase in average hourly earnings. Right. Um, so those numbers were good. The unemployment rate itself, which... You know, it, it fluctuates based on different things. We're kind of, I'm getting used to it going up when even adding the number of jobs is, is jobs added is good. So we saw it go up a tenth of a percent to 4.7, but it's still at a great rate. So, and know, then we saw jobless claims at what was described as strikingly low right. with 235,000 jobless claims. So you look at all of that. And the challenger job cuts number has been like decade low. Um the other interesting thing, like kind of you almost got to like stop and wrap your mind around this a little bit, is that November, right? This is the one we keep saying was over 200,000, was 204,000 or so. November had a 0.1% decrease in hourly wage. It created more jobs and had a, a reduction in the average hourly wage. So here then in December, we actually saw a 0.4% increase in hourly wage, though we added fewer jobs. So again, if you're trying to think about this in terms of uh, an indicator of what's going on in the economy, I think most of us would agree that um, if you're creating enough jobs to keep up with demand, which we now know is something more than 100,000, um, Let's focus more on quality jobs and increased wage growth as opposed to just purely the number of jobs, you know? It's like when you look at just the number, you say, December, why couldn't you be more like your your sister, November? And it's like, well, yeah, but I did less less actual creation of jobs, but higher wage growth. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. You know, that's, that's kind of a nice trade-off. Um, and... Let's see here. Yeah, you mentioned the unemployment rate, you know, it's chopping 4.6, 4.7, 4.8, whatever. November, that month of the reduction in wage growth also brought us our um, multi-year low in the unemployment rate. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, great. Well, the unemployment rate dropped and so did wages. Um, and now we find out that the unemployment rate ticked up a little bit, but so did wages. So, um, you know, what do you want? You want to have your cake and eat it too, I guess. Um, you know, but it, it's interesting. And then, of course, you can go look in. Um, you know, where are these jobs? What type of jobs are these? Are these head of household jobs? Um, that always is something that um, you're wanting to 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 see. Um, factory jobs this time are is what took the headline. Is that we're seeing factory jobs increases. Um, Depending on how you feel about President-elect Trump, there's been no shortage of headlines lately about his ability to keep these factories here. I mean, it seems every week we're seeing something. If it was from the air conditioning company to Ford or whoever else about, you know, oh, they're going to keep this factory or they had plans to open up this uh, manufacturing facility in Mexico or wherever, and now they're not. 
Um, by the way, yesterday I saw it seems like Honda was the latest manufactured de jour to Toyota. I think. Was it Toyota? Um, wanting to open up a plant down there, and he's saying, you know, no way, you're going to pay heavy import tariffs, whatever. Um, but <laughs> it's interesting to see, though, that the, this part of the conversation is going on now, and then we see in the month of December um, that factory jobs was the kind of the bright spot there of um, jobs created. So, um, yeah, anyway, it was... Um, Altogether, you said average. Um, well, that's th- probably fair. And I think I'm basing that mostly on the job creation because we've seen a, a good run here of of months where we're exceeding 200,000. So it seems like the pace of jobs being added for the last six months has slowed and settled into a new range, um, which is closer to that 150, 170 kind of range. Um, and so even some of the comments that I, I was finding and reading about this particular report says that there's hints of slowing job growth, which I'm seeing as well. You know, the jobs added is, is it's been going down a little bit, but so has the jobless claims numbers. And so to me, there's, you know, there's not a lot of people losing jobs for whatever reason, but there's also not a lot of new jobs being added. So it feels like we're about to enter this cycle where one or the other, right? Well, not necessarily. I, I think these employed people are now going to be presented with opportunities to move up the wage scale um, as they jockey for new positions. And and that's and that was another comment that I saw. You know, it's there's hints of slowing job growth, but there's wage pressure. There's upward ra- wage pressure. So that's kind of what I saw as I stepped back and took all the pieces of data and tried to interpret it. Right. And so I think that's good. The that's wage what we want. The wage growth is definitely the bright spot. That's the, I mean, no matter how you feel about, are they calculating the unemployment number correctly or the participation rate? You know, yeah, but what about the baby boomers? You can have all these side conversations. The one thing that everybody's got to agree on that, hey, 0.4% month over month increase in wage growth is a good thing. Yeah. Um, That, that we want to see that trend continue. Um, Construction payrolls dropped 3,000 jobs last month, probably something to do with the wet and cold weather, right? I mean, we had we had another polar vortex type of thing going on, you know, the sensationalized weather here. The retail sector employment rose, 6,300 jobs. Um, it had actually added 19,500 jobs in November. So you see that you... Um, Still added yet more jobs in December. That's nice. I bet retail sheds some jobs in January, don't you think, after the holiday season? I would expect so, yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah, Macy's, one of the giant retailers, is why they're always relevant. They've announced that they're planning to cut 10,000 jobs starting this year. Well, how about beyond just the jobs, the stores? I mean, there was news that the the Macy's down at State Street um, that mall down in Santa Barbara is going to be closing. Yeah, and you know, I, it wasn't just them. I thought I heard news about Sears stores. Well, um, I mean, Sears, Kmart. Yeah, um, it's the Macy's. Is this the death of the mall. It's the the Paso Nuevo Mall, which is the one downtown. But I'm talking in Santa about Barbara. the concept of malls. Is this the end of that? Well, those mm-hmm. malls have typically been anchored by one of those big, big retailers. You know, retailers like that. And in the the reality of it is, is that. Number one, um, 
pressure from online sales, I mean, if you own Macy's or Macy's stock, you've got to be staring down the barrel of Amazon going, huh, they just keep, because Amazon's game's getting stronger. Mm-hmm. I mean, I yesterday I opened the fridge, was out of milk. I clicked a button and I had milk by two o'clock from Amazon. I'm just kidding, but that's like yeah. this yeah. in some <laughs> cities. That's true. that's true. I know, and yeah. Amazon sees that as the way of the future. They're trying to create these little mini distribution hubs where they can get you stuff the same day or next morning. Um, from your privacy of your own recliner in your PJs at midnight. <laughs> Did you see this thing uh, or hear about the thing where they? want to try these drones yeah. that would drop it right at your door. Yeah. Basically, I It's a little eh, crazy. It's a little Feels crazy futuristic me. to me. Like you know, Jetsons. it's a little crazy for me because like for one thing, is the FAA going to really want all these drones flying around in the, the neighborhoods well, and stuff like of, that? Think I mean, about a city like like San Francisco yeah. or New York where yeah. it's I mean, how many millions of people concentrated in like 7 square miles yeah, yeah. Right. and I mean, these drones can navigate through the skyscrapers. They're, you're not interfering yeah. with aircraft when you're flying right. at a, a thousand. Well, not feet. only that, but we don't we don't have it here, so you're not overly familiar with it. But they got these lockers now too, so you get an Amazon locker where you're just told, "Hey, your stuff's in this locker." So maybe the drone is delivering a, a handful of packages to a, a little locker center that's you know above the Vons. And now you go in and you're Dan Podesto, you're in A7. That package that you were looking for, the postman doesn't need to walk it up to your doorstep tomorrow morning as you can get it from your Amazon locker today at 2. Um, those kind of things in those highly density, you know, densely populated areas are where you're going to see more of those services start to happen. But yeah. so anyway, those things are putting pressure on these retailers. Then additionally, um, we talked about this last month is that people are kind of burning out, I think, a little bit on the consumerism thing in general. I feel like um, that too. And, and I think if you're shopping online at all, one of the greatest things about it, I mean, other than the fact that I don't have to go shuffle through racks looking for my size or the color I want. Um, I don't have to wait in a line. I don't have to do – like with Amazon, if you – and I'm using Amazon as an example. Any online re- online retailer, they're basically doing free shipping now. So like most of them, you want, yeah. you want you like this jacket, Dan? Well, here, have the confidence of ordering seven different jackets. Try them all on in your and living room six. and return six of them. Yep, for no fee. Just, we just want you to buy a jacket. Um, and so the fact is that that people are latching on to that a little bit more. Um, and I think people are. That's the experience of the shopper of tomorrow. Um, the unfortunate thing Today. is, right? <laughs> yesterday, yeah, <laughs> this morning. The unfortunate thing about that is, is that um, I I often would call Best Buy my nickname for Best Buy is Best Browse because I would like to. I appreciate their inventory, and I can go in there and see all of the different options. I can see. Can play if, with them, touch them, yeah. feel them, shake yeah. them, see if they're flimsily built, see if they're wow, this is stronger than I thought it would be. That's what I like about um, going to the sh- I need a, But then you can settle on your model, go home, research it online, and see if that's the best place well, to now, buy that well, model. Well, now what I was going to say is, you know what I'm lacking there? 
is all the consumer review feedback. Uh. So now I want to go home. I go to Best Browse. I pick them up. I can feel them. I can touch them. I can shake them. I can see. And then I can go home. Okay, well, these were the... I take pictures of them with my phone. There's the model number and the price. And I go home and start trying to figure it out. And I, you know what? I actually, most of the time... If I get done with all of my research and I've this is the one I want, I, I'm particularly interested in buying it from somebody locally if I can. And you no, know, it might be three or five or ten percent more expensive. If you get beyond ten percent more expensive for me here locally, you're kind of compelling me to to want to buy it somewhere else. Right. But I up to ten percent, I'm really not gonna squabble over if it's supporting a local business. Because the bummer is when the libraries all close. And the Borders is gone because the Borders came and chased out all the Monch Pa bookstores. And then they got chased out. And now you like you have trouble going to find a book. I mean, yeah, I know we still have Barnes and Nobles in town, um, but it's harder than ever to just go get a book to put your fingers on some paper. You know, um, Amazon sells books. Amazon sells books. Um, but point being is um, then you get to other things like right where, you know, say, for example, um, my kids have remote control cars. That's a fun thing that we'll go out in the backyard and do together. And then something breaks. Well, the other one's still running. So it's like, oh, well, if we only had that part, well, there's a hobby shop up the street. That's cool. And you can go to the hobby shop and you can get it right now. And you can, um, and by the way, at the hobby <coughs> shop in Atascadero, the little parts for the RC car, are the exact same price as Amazon. I think they know that. Uh, but I can have it right this second. Or I could buy it on Amazon and it'll be here, you know, what's buy it now and, you know, have it on Monday before 8 p.m. or whatever. Um, if we all just simply buy it on Amazon, guess what? The hobby shop's going to be gone. And so consumers have to have some responsibility to know when you're shopping and where you're shopping and um, what that's likely to lead to in your town. Um We've seen that. And so, yeah, everybody needs to be kind of a responsible consumer. But when I find out that Macy's needs to close stores and shed 10,000 employees, I'm kind of like, yeah, I understand that. Um, the bummer is how many of the mom and pa clothing people or furniture or shoes or whatever did Macy's chase out? So part of that attrition is it kind of squashed a bunch of small businesses to put in the big box one, and now the big box one's not going to make it. So is it the reemergence of some of those small businesses in town, or is everybody just going to have the postman bring you your your heart's whim? We'll see, I guess. Yeah. Something to be said, though, um, about that small business's ability to compete, though, and have a shop in town. But, man, look at even downtown. Think about downtown for the last 20 years. Because you've been here almost 20 years now. Yeah. Used to be a lot of shops. Mm -hmm. Used to be a lot of offices in a lot of shops. Mm -hmm. Anymore? It's, it's not a lot of offices. It's all the food. offices have moved out to the airport. We got bars and restaurants. Now. Yeah. And part of that is because the, the way that people shop has changed. Well, I don't want to go deal with a parking meter to have to run in and, you know, buy perfume. Or, I don't know. Whatever it was. So... Well, how often do you have something that you need to buy where I need it right now? I can't wait the two days for my Amazon Prime to get it to me. I am um, to a fault. I like the instant gratification. I don't like to wait for things. 
If I've done all of that work and figured it all out and I'm arriving, this is what I'm getting. I want it now. I really do want it now. And and that's a thing about a local store that I think is great. Or, you know, if you can think of some of the local businesses here in town, like, you know, Fordens, for example. Have you been into Fordens mm-hmm. recently? Yeah. It's a great business. Um, they got some fantastic things in there. Some really, f- it's family run, really friendly people. Um, now right across the street from that Williams Sonoma. Yeah. And um, some of the stuff they carry, there's some overlap in there. Like if you um, lay Crusade, those real nice enameled pans and stuff, Fordens was the place in Slow County to get those. Um, and now right across the street, you know, Williams Sonoma has that and more. But it's a whole different experience. And that's a... That's a bigger corporation that's, you know, it's like, yeah, there's some of those people that work there live here and stuff, but the profits and everything getting piped out of here. I know the family that owns Ford, and so I would rather spend my money in there. Um, so it's those kind of things, I think, is people have got to recognize. It's like, well, as a consumer, you you have responsibility. Shop where you want to shop, shop where you need to shop, and shop at the stores where you want those stores to be open next year. Because otherwise... It'll all go the way of getting things in two days from Amazon, right? True. And then you won't be able to touch it and feel it anymore. Yeah. There's some things that I, it's just, you kind of have to see it in person. Well, like we were going through this trying to buy a dining table for the new house. Furniture is one of the things where. My wife's like, what do you think about this? And I go, I think it's a picture. Yeah. I can't make any intelligent decision for me i cannot tell at all from a picture if i like that or it not. doesn't always look the same from the picture in their perfectly lit yeah. you know or perfect the, camera the angle. scale or texture yeah, it's hard or to tell or you the know, weight of something people are so good at making something it's like oh it shows up and it's like what's this made of balsa wood in the picture i thought it was like black walnut like yeah, something my grandfather would have made yeah so you know and, and anything that's fabric like a couch or something like that you you can get little swatches but it's you can't take a little four inch square and right. know what the full the couch full is going to look like, like yeah. i mean it might look way darker or lighter or mm-hmm. whatever than you thought it was based on a little swatch or based on what you saw online yeah, yeah. Like the wallpaper, too. You can't tell how comfortable it is without sitting on it. On Thursday, we went to um, Totally Tile in Paso Robles. Have you been there? Um, No, but do they have one in Slow? Maybe. I think they do. Oh. On Tank or... In the old bike shop thing on Santa Barbara, right? Uh, I'm thinking of one like right on South Higuera and Tank Farm area. Anyway, Totally Tile in Paso Robles is awesome. The floor, like every 10 square feet of floor, they did another thing and another pattern. And so you can see it. And then all the stuff, you can pick them up and you can hold them. And then once you're like, okay, you know, imagine trying to do that on a computer. There's just no way. Um, And then after that, they'll let you take home anything you need to go lean up against. Like right now, we're going to do a backsplash in the house. We're like, we got to see it. Next to the cabinet, next to the granite. What does it look like? Um, Those things that can't be replaced by Amazon. I don't know. Maybe they can just send you a box of tiles for free. (laughs) Sure they could. (laughs) Um, Interesting show today, Dan. Yeah. 
I feel like we talked a lot about um, a lot of things and household stuff. Household stuff, <laughs> not so much about mortgage. But yeah, but that <laughs> has to do with you know buying your home. It I does. do have a game plan yeah. over the next few weeks here to talk about specific programs and products, like we talked about earlier in the show. So we'll we'll be working on that. Um, if you guys need any loan help at all, want to do a a remodel or an addition or put in some environmentally friendly appliances and things like that. These are all things that mortgages can help with. Um, and so if you need any of that help, want any of that consult, give us a call. Uh, 805-543-LOAN is the number. 543-LOAN, which is um, 5626. Or you can find us on the web at centralcoastlending.com. We'd love to hear from you, be able to help you. If you're involved in any kind of a transaction involving real estate or thinking about it, uh, let us throw our hat in the ring. Have a great week, guys. Uh, stay dry. We'll see you next week.